Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart and you're listening to All The Best. This week, we're continuing our 500 retrospective series with another episode from our archives. Age of Activism first aired early last year and follows grandparents John and Ray, who are spending their retirement fighting for climate action. The first time we arrested, we had 30 of us as we went for a 12-kilometre walk in the dark with no torches through farmyards and, and, and bushland and tracks and beside rivers and across creeks to get to a trespass site. That's Ray Sheridan, and she's talking about the first time her and her husband John were arrested. It was five years ago, on Ray's 70th birthday to be exact, and she and John were protesting the clearing of the Lurd State Forest in northern New South Wales. And then the dawn comes up and the police come and... Actually, it was rather amusing that first time because they were firstly arresting you, getting your details, and then they were sending out fines to you. Except I, I said, uh, look, uh, can we get a family discount? I said to the cop. He said, no, you can't. I was a senior's discount. No, you can't. It's now five years later, and at 75 and 78 years old, Ray's been arrested seven times and John six times. All of these arrests have been in the name of demanding action on climate change. One of our grandchildren, who's a, he was at that stage a fairly conservative young man of about 11, he thought it was terrible <laughs> that, you know, we could be arrested, you know, we'd broken the law and how could we be pleased about it? <laughs> but his older brother and his younger sister didn't think. They're all doing the same now because they, you know, the children strike The reason Ray and John have dedicated their retirement to protesting for climate action is because they're worried about their grandkids' future. But after hearing their stories of arrests and all-night hikes through the bush, I had a few questions about their method. To find out the answers, I decided to follow Ray and John on a protest mission all the way into the depths of outback Queensland. This time, their plan is to barricade one of the most infamous symbols in the fight for climate action, the Adani Carmichael coal mine. It's nearly 4pm and we're driving down a dirt road to a secret uh, camping ground. Uh, it kind of looks like a farm that's been abandoned. Either side of us are fences bordering fields of brown dirt and beige grass. In the distance, I can see some cows. They look very thirsty. How are you both feeling about tonight? Oh, pretty good. I'm not looking forward to tonight because we you know, have to camp. We're staying in a motel at the moment. <laughs> I like to have a warm shower. 
We've just driven three hours along a sweltering highway into remote central Queensland. This is phase one of a protest mission that we've spent the past four days planning at the Adani blockade. This blockade's a camp that was set up three years ago in central Queensland, and it's where people from across Australia come to protest the mine by disrupting its supply chain. Twenty-five people pile out of the seven cars that convoyed here together. Half are a crew of doctors, nurses and health professionals. They've travelled here from all over New South Wales and Queensland to take part in this protest. John's a retired doctor, so he and Ray are part of this crew, while the other half of the 25 people have joined from the Adani blockade. They're a motley crew of university students, bohemians, tradies and white-collar workers from all corners of the country. Everyone has snapped to work. Some are pushing aside cow paddies to set up their tents. A few others are setting up gazebos, while on the other side of the paddock, people are unloading a trailer full of pre-made food and cartons of water. Everyone looks a bit tired and grimy, like we've just finished up at a three-day festival. But this is only the beginning. John, can you tell me what the plan is for tomorrow? All we're trying to do is to slow down Adani's work at its uh, site. They have a, a barracks-type area where people stay. What we'll be trying to do is just prevent, mostly prevent people going out from there for a little period of time. In order to barricade the site before the workers leave to start their 6am shift, the element of surprise is everything to the success of the protest. This means we have to leave the campsite at 3am, which is why we're setting up camp at a secret location that's around halfway between the Adani worker site and the Adani blockade. We'll be standing there and holding banners to indicate uh, why we're there, because the concern is that coal is a very large contributor to climate change. John's setting up his and Ray's tent while Ray's arranging their things for a quick grab when the alarm goes off at 2.30 tomorrow morning. In Ray's piles a signature shirt that she wears to every protest. It's black with a picture on the front and back of their grandkids. I had one person come up to me in a protest a little while ago and he turned me around and he said, this is my favourite T-shirt. He, he didn't know me from a bar of soap, but he just remembered that I'd worn it every protest. While Ray's packing for John, a trick that he uses at every protest. It's 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 a trade secret. It's 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 yeah, protesters, older protesters, secret no. secret business. What I do is I carry a small waste bag, and in that waste bag, I can I carry a number of things which I consider to be essentials. One is a water bottle. The other is toilet paper, a fresh pair of underpants, and a whole lot of tablets. And uh, when I get arrested. The police look at what you're carrying and they, oh, we don't want you to die in custody. So they get me out pretty quickly. If you walked past Ray and John on the street last week in their hometown of Brisbane, you probably wouldn't have guessed that they were about to drive 13 hours north to the Adani blockade. Spend four days helping to coordinate a game plan for a protest mission. Travel three hours into the outback camp in the bush, then barricade the Adani workers' site, and after all of this, likely spend the day in jail for trespassing. Honestly, they just look like your average grandparents with glasses and grey hair sticking from their sun hats. So it begs the question, why go to this much effort, and why Adani? 
for years we've absolutely been convinced that this is the only thing that's making a difference. We've written a co-authored a book, we've petitioned, we've signed, you know, knocked on doors, we've visited politicians who were insulted. It's made no difference at all. This this has to work because it's it's really the last effort we have to bring about an awareness with Adani, of course, that's the line in the sand that we're that is at the bottom line of our protests at the moment. While I'm with Ray and John, I frequently hear this notion that Adani is the line in the sand. I didn't realise until I came here that it's because Adani's Carmichael coal mine is considered to be an icebreaker. This term icebreaker refers to Adani setting a precedent for the rest of the Galilee Basin. This basin's the reserve where the Carmichael mine's located and it's considered to be one of the largest coal reserves in the world. And what this term icebreaker means was demonstrated by Ian McFarlane, who's the chief executive of the Queensland Resources Council. He told ABC News that other mining giants who are lining up behind Adani to also have a crack at the Galilee Basin, they'll have a much easier run now that Adani has built things like the railway and done the hard yards of locking in the baseline for environmental conditions. This is a concern to Rain John because the Galilee Basin is dubbed Australia's biggest carbon bomb. And if it's burnt, the Climate Council estimates the basin would more than double Australia's current annual emissions. It's 2.30am, I've had about four hours of sleep. There's people running between their tent and their cars, making sure they've got everything. There's a giant pot of coffee boiling, thank God. And a few people are spreading some peanut butter onto what looks like a stack of pretty stale white bread. I don't know how Ray and John do this. I hope I still have this energy at 78. We decide to reduce the number of cars that we're taking to the worker site, so I split from Ray and John and slide into the back seat of a car with four jittery health workers. The road's sealed for the first few kilometres, and then we turn onto a dirt road that takes us the rest of the two-hour drive to the site. We don't pass any cars. It kind of feels like we're in that John Marsden book, Tomorrow When the War Began. The health workers are nervous, they're out of their comfort zones, but similarly to Ray and John, one health worker tells me she also feels like these types of protests are the last resort. Well, we're academics in the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland, and um, this is putting me so out of my comfort zone. Um, um, It's, uh, I don't like heat, and (laughs) this is, it's really hot. Um, I'm scared about the, the action and the reaction of the police, but reached such a tipping point that I have to be engaged in such activity. It's so pressing and it's so important. We're almost there. It's still dark, but I can see a glow radiating the distance uh, from the light of the worker's site. The closer we get, the more nervous I'm getting. Uh, If the cops are there, it means we'll be turned back around straight away and this whole thing would have been for nothing. 
So it might be this part of the story that you're thinking, all right, there's 25 of you. You're going to barricade some gates and maybe hold up the mine for a few hours? How the hell does this make any difference other than pissing off a few miners? It's a valid question, and to be honest, I was surprised by Ray and John's answer. Mostly we're just after publicity. We're not going to make much difference to uh, Adani by doing this, but we will get, we hope, some good publicity. 61 or 62 companies have withdrawn their support, right from the biggest banks to, you know, insurance companies from Adani. At the time of recording this in November 2019, it was actually 57 companies. But now it's up to 85. When people challenge you and say, you know, what are your small protests or your block lock-ons or blockades achieving, that's just one area where we can say that we've had some type of effect. And when you're given the microphone by a TV program or a journalist from the local paper, you have a chance to talk to people like yourself in the community directly. But if you can get older people and people who, are, who appear to be conventional in appearance, uh, uh, you know, as activists, then uh, there's a much wider spectrum of public who is likely to identify with you. So that's really the crux of how Ray and John see themselves as making a change in this movement. Their conservative appearance, that's their weapon. So they won't be saying these are a whole lot of way out, you know, green extremists or whatever, or they're less likely to say that, I suppose. So think of someone you know that hasn't been convinced by the science of climate change or shrugs off the school climate strikes as just a bunch of rowdy youth. When they switch on the news and see someone like Ray with her grandchildren printed on her shirt and she's telling the journalist that she's protesting for her grandkid's future, they might just see themselves reflected back. But in the context of a protest, there's a very thin line between good publicity and bad publicity. So there's a lot riding on how this plays out. It's dawn, the birds are starting to sing. There's security in orange. It's nearly 5am and we've reached the gate. There's about five security guards at the front of the gate. There's no cops, uh, which apparently is good news. So here we go. We're now lined up. Staunch, serious. At the moment, ladies and gents, I'm talking to the whole group here. You're all committing, uh, or you're all stopping our people to go to work. The people behind you. All the protesters are quietly getting into position in a line across the fence. No one talks to the security guards. We've just been instructed as to our status by a man in orange. We're now being photographed by another security guard. It's a strange sight to see. Miles from any hospital, the health workers are dressed in different coloured scrubs with stethoscopes draped around their necks. A sign is unfurled across the front gate that reads in bold black letters, climate crisis equals health crisis. Yes, this is a really impressive line-up here in a very remote area, surrounded by woodland, the moon going down. John, how are you thinking? I'm pretty relaxed about this, actually. There's a group of about five people running the length of the line taking pictures of the protesters. 
Specific people among the protesters have been tasked with the role of media to help gain publicity for the protests. One of them's a trained videographer, and he's filming the health workers explaining why they're protesting. Here's a grab from one of the videos that was later posted to social media. So all of us have engaged in advocacy, speaking to politicians, going through all the legal channels for years and years and years. Um, It's becoming more and more clear that sometimes people like us, health professionals, also need to engage in direct action, and that's a way that we can extend our duty of care to our patients, to our communities, outside the clinic, outside the emergency room, outside of our hospitals, come out to the front lines here. But snapping photos and making videos isn't the only tool the protesters are using to gain publicity. John, along with another seven health workers, peel back from the line of people across the front gate and run inside the workers' site. The strategy is working perfectly. They're running to block four gates that are within the workers' compound. The most dramatic moment is just... Trespassing on private property, it's done land. Police have been notified and you may be prosecuted. It's really strange to see a bunch of protesters cheering at the news that the cops are on their way. Shouldn't everyone, you know, all grab their things and, like, run away when the cops get here? But I find out this is it. This is the goal. It had already been determined before we even got here who would be arrested. This is all part of the game plan. One where people who want to be arrested take on the roles in the protest mission that involve trespassing. And today, John's one of those people. It seems counterintuitive that getting arrested would be the game plan. But this is because pushing out social media posts and pitching the footage and photos to media, it's good for publicity. But getting arrested is better. We can get quite a number of health people who regard it generally, you know, fairly highly and publicity about that. The more of those people who can get arrested, the greater the publicity and the more likelihood of people thinking, well, these people are serious about this. They think it really is a a health emergency. This is something we need to think about. This is why Ray and John seem so eager in telling their protesting conquest that ended in arrest. Yeah, it sort of changes your feeling of normality, doesn't it? Yes. You realise that it's silly being confined by laws. That uh, the law is is basically written to preserve the status quo, rather than thinking in terms of justice. And uh, it really should be justice. But perhaps even more interesting is what I was told by another protester. Getting arrested shows your willingness to accept the consequences and the willingness for people en masse to record a criminal conviction and front a fine in the name of climate action, that sends a powerful message. But to make sure it's the right kind of message, non-violence is paramount to the Adani blockade crew and also to Rain John because it means the publicity that comes from an action focuses on the issue of climate change rather than an act of violence. You can see why this is important when you compare the idea to the infamous IMARC protest. Police sprayed protesters multiple times as tensions once again flared in the middle of Melbourne. I feel brutalised. It genuinely feels like my whole face is on fire. Protesters have been trying to stop delegates attending an international mining conference at Melbourne's convention centre. The IMARC protest gained a lot of publicity. 
but the protesters' message was clouded by the violence between the police and people who attended. This is why the blockade and health workers don't want to ruffle too many feathers in the process. They want their message to be clear. This is not a protest directed against the miners for choosing to work in the industry. This is a publicity stunt to rally support for a transition to renewable energy. Oh, we do have cake though. We don't have the bliss bowls. Oh, you don't have the bliss bowls. But we do have. Really? We do have. Now that everyone's in position and the cops are on their way, the energy becomes way less tense. The protesters are still blocking the gates, but everyone relaxes and starts chatting with the security guards and handing out food. These are they're health workers, you see. They've got your health in mind. Some of the security guards chat. The a few of the others remain staunch, sort of like good cop, bad cop. Alright, so I'm going to fast forward this part because this all goes on for about seven hours. Essentially, everyone just gets more and more lethargic in 38 degree heat. All of the workers, they manage to leave eventually. And then the cops finally arrive at midday. How are you feeling about the end with the rest? Well, the police were very friendly. And uh, hopefully the, uh, what will come out of it will be worthwhile. On the rest for contravening uh, direction, do you understand that? The remaining 17 protesters are watching on as the health workers that trespassed hop into the back of the paddy wagon. It's all very civil. And to celebrate, they launch into song as the car rolls out onto the dirt road to Claremont Station. Peter has the power, power to the Peter, stronger by the minute. We later hear that 26,000 people watched the video the health workers loaded to social media. It didn't get any national coverage, but stories ran in the Queensland Times, the Daily Mercury, the Chronicle and the News Mail. So the protest is considered a success, but as I watched the eight health workers loaded into the back of the paddy wagon, there was something that niggled at me. While Ray and John have their conservative appearance to thank for helping them to share their messages for climate action, I'm left wondering about the crew that joined from the blockade, many of whom are younger and more alternative looking. When they're arrested or placed in the media, are they treated so kindly? And... Do they have more to lose than people like Ray and John? So for younger people, there is that worry about um, how this will impact us and potentially with impacts to our future employment as a result of the actions that we're taking here. That's Anna. She is a 31-year-old from Townsville who joined the protest. She's been at the blockade for about two weeks, and I asked her what she thinks of people like Ray and John getting involved in the movement. Um, I think it's so awesome to see people who are older um, or who are retired jumping in and like really getting active in the movement because they are in a position of privilege in our society. Um, the worries about their future employability aren't as relevant. Um, many of them have property or other kind of um, investments to fall back on. So if they do incur fines or other financial um, retaliations, that they will be able to manage them. Well, there's a huge vary in privilege and health among retirees, 
This is something Ray and John agree with in the context of their own situation. Yeah, we, we don't have to worry in that way. We, we, we can hardly be fired from our jobs if we haven't got them. And we have enough money anyway to pay the fines, at least so far we have. But I think age is an advantage. It, you know, it's both a it's double-edged sword, obviously. You don't want to be old, but being old means they do look after you a bit better and they do try to get rid of you faster. That's why it's so disappointing to not see a flotilla of caravans around Parliament House protesting about climate change from the grey nomads because they really are living the life of a dream, um, many of them. You know, we, we're, we are the really the rich generation that's inherited a lot of benefits so that, that we could be so powerful if that motivation was there. I came to the blockade thinking this was a story about Ray and John giving up their retirement to fight for a healthy future for their grandkids. But what I found is there's much more to this bandit duo than two grandparents waving signs of protest and running from the cops. They're actually part of a much bigger role, using their privilege to make wanting action on climate change mainstream. We think of ourselves as Aussies, you know, free wheeling and uh, with a disregard for authority, but we're really not. We're quite conservative and law-abiding people. And so stepping outside people's comfort zone it has been a difficult challenge. It's, you know, hoping that's, that's being broken now as like these fires, floods, cyclones, droughts uh, impacting um, people's minds. And even gets into the media and people start, you know, like climate change, climate catastrophe, climate emergency, climate crisis, it'll start to make an impact that we can talk about it. That was Age of Activism, an episode we first aired at the beginning of last year. Jordan Beasley produced the story with supervising production from Rachel Fountain and Mel Chun. You've been listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening. <laughs>